Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I've probably mentioned it before, but I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. Um, my family watches it every Saturday night. It's sort of a, a family tradition around here. I come from a few generations of entrepreneurs. Um, my great grandfather, the story goes, was that he um, left Russia because he was such a capitalist and communism was coming into the country. And at 12 years old, he came here all alone. He saw a man dressed in a silk shirt and he'd never seen a guy dressed so fancy before. This was at Ellis Island. Um, and he said to the gentleman, what do you do? The guy said he owned a cigar factory and that became my great grandfather's dream after that. So um, he sort of you know, had his American dream, made his small fortune here in America. Um, although my father is a doctor, he had was always investing and building different companies on the side. And so this was something that was kind of always part of my lifeblood. Um, and I think the work that we do here at Jew in the City is because as a natural born entrepreneur, I'm looking at problems and I'm always looking how to solve them. Apparently I have more of what they call maybe the, the male side of things. Like women are generally supposed to like, um, just wanna say their feelings and just get feedback. And I'm like, let's make solutions. Um, that's what I've been told. My husband's like, sometimes just listen to me, have my feelings and stop trying to solve everything. But as a, a natural entrepreneur, um, I'm just always looking to solve. And so I love hearing and meeting other entrepreneurs and there was this woman on Shark Tank a little while ago before this thing called coronavirus started, um, who was so Jewish. Um, she Her deal was around deli, but vegan deli. And when I see vegan, the first thing I think of is I can put cheese on it. Um, and when I went to her website, she said that the product wasn't kosher yet, but it will be soon. And we can't wait to make hamotzis on it. Um, and so I was just so curious who this woman was. Her name is Jenny Goldfarb. She is the founder and CEO of Mrs. Goldfarb's Unreal Delhi. Um, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Allison. Great opening. <laughs> um, so you probably, I, I think there's, you know, entrepreneurs probably share um, a little bit of something in them. And I, I believe your story started also with a family business and sort of made more than one generation of entrepreneurs. Is that kind of how the, the Delhi uh, bug or the entrepreneur bug started in you? Yeah. So the actual Delhi bit happens also with a great grandpa immigrating to this country from Romania in this case and coming as a 19 year old, but not speaking the language, not having his parents, like all of this, these un this unbelievable sacrifice to bring us here onto this podcast. And uh, he, with very little skills, became a dishwasher in his first New York City deli. And depending on my audience, I'll say like the classic American dream. In this case, I'll say like the classic Jewish dream. He came from being a dishwasher to come and operate and own many New York City delis and cafeterias. So he was kind of a bit of a deli entrepreneur, if you will, similar to myself. And then my his son and, and my father became more like straight businessmen, MBA, entrepreneurial types, which also gave me a lot of the chutzpah to do what I'm doing today. I love it. I, I think a big part is the chutzpah, um, yep. a little bit of that dream. And I think um, I think some of it is genetic and maybe some of it, you know, we watch um, previous generations doing it and think I could do that too. Um, so take us through the Jewish background. So great grandfather comes through Romania and um, was he observant? How were you raised Jewishly? Yeah, so, um, you know, things were just barely cultural, really, growing up for me. I like to call myself a uh, Seinfeld and Bagels Jew growing up. And so I knew I was Jewish. I knew something made me a little different. I don't know if I would have called that special, but there was something. And when I got to college at George Washington University in my sophomore year, really, I started exploring what was going on at Hillel. And I just started 
just thinking about like, what is this whole Jewish thing? Like, does it matter? Should I really be caring about dating Jewish guys? Like the, my parents seem to think I need to marry someone Jewish, but they haven't told me much about what this even means in the first place. And so that investigating turns into a many year passion that still is to this day where I got very involved at Hillel and I started learning and I was becoming more observant. And then when, as college was ending, I actually got a great job from this big marketing firm, like almost like a dream job. And I told my parents, I'm going to leave it all behind and go spend a year in Jerusalem and learn Torah full time. Wow. And they weren't psyched, but uh, <laughs> I had more than a couple friends who were either there or observant or like in the Parsha that were saying to me, like, uh, you know, you're never going to look back on your life and say, I regret spending that year in Israel. No matter what happens, you're not going to look back. So, uh, so I said, good, enough information, I'm going. So I went on my own, uh, also not speaking the language and not with my parents yet again. And I wound up living in Nachlaot, which is right by the Shuk there in Yerushalayim. And I was learning at an amazing, uh, an amazing kind of Karlbach Midrashah called Simchat Shlomo. And it just opened my heart, mind and soul to you know, ideas and feelings and, and beliefs that I never even like thought I had any space for or, or could even possibly conceptualize. And uh, got me just very, very excited about, you know, the whole mystical arm of the Torah, the Zohar, and a lot of the, just the, the very, very deep mystical teachings. And when I left Israel after a full year of study, I moved to New York City and doing very big Shabbat meals and just very involved in Jewish life there. And then I wound up in Los Angeles. And, uh, and to this day still, um, I'm not like completely orthodox, but I'm very much involved in, you know, doing Shabbat, having the holidays. We build a sukkah every year. We, um, I send out a teaching every Friday after I write to Mark Cuban. I send out a Torah teaching to about 200 old friends of mine who are, you know, friends of mine back from New York. And so I'm still to this day very engaged in Torah learning and studying and praying for Israel and all, all of the things. Beautiful. I love that. And that's the thing, like, you know, when you see, you see Mrs. Goldfarb come out with sort of the, the Jewish New York deli shtick, but then there's this whole sort of spiritual side to you. So I love that we're getting to see this. Now let's go back to the business side. Right. Um, when did you know, what was your sort of your career path after college? When did you know that you wanted to go into the deli business too? Yeah, so definitely like the deli business was definitely not any on anyone's list at any point during or after college. Uh, I did get wind up getting involved in marketing and just like Hashem kind of works everything, that marketing job that I mentioned, by the time I was ready to leave Israel, I reached back out to them and they were like, actually, an even better position opens where we're going to pay for this and this and this for you to... So not only did I have this beautiful year, but I got back to get this even better job at the same company. So that was awesome. But uh, so, yeah, I was doing marketing, kind of just general business stuff. It was nothing tremendously inspired, entrepreneurial and definitely nothing deli. But what happened was, and I like to credit this as part of my time in Israel, is that, you know, I, I grew such an awareness that like, you know, consciousness can affect matter and that, you know, the intention when you say a braha that like there's an energy that like changes in that cup of grape juice or piece of whatever. And so, so just knowing a little bit of that, when I started learning about the plight of our animal friends, and I'm talking on kosher factor, kosher farms, I'm talking about on grass fed, local, organic, quote unquote, happy farms broke my heart to smithereens, to see it happening, to think that 
because I was eating kosher, I was already at this like higher ethical level. And it made me realize that I had to really either throw out my, all of my beliefs to keep eating meat or if I want, or, and dairy and all of these things, or, or figure out a way to learn how to cook a little differently and, and change things up. If I wanted to live with this kind of consciousness and, and love and, 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 and truth really. So when I started, so I was working kind of regular business. And then when I had young kids, I wasn't even working for a couple of years. And so I had one Facebook friend that started po posting some videos of like, here's what's happening in these farms, guys. And I know you don't know this because it's so much behind closed doors and we just see a happy smiling cow on the outside of the picture. But I started watching and it broke my heart. And I said to my very meat and potatoes husband, we can't eat this anymore. And he was like, well, what are we gonna eat? And I said, I don't know, but I'm gonna figure it out. And I also credit having gone through all of these like big Shabbat meals and always cooking for many people that I had like just the, the willingness to like dive in and learn how to like move around a, a plant-based kitchen because without having a lot of comfort already in a regular kitchen, I wasn't even gonna be able to like scratch the surface here. So I bought every vegan cookbook I could find and I figured out how to cook from the produce and, and grain sections. And it wasn't easy, but after a while, the food got good and better and sometimes amazing to the point that I told my family, I wanna make a vegan food blog and we'll do videos and it'll be great. And so I did that for a bit and that didn't become a raging success, which I feel like is an important thing to echo out into the world. So when someone thinks I wanna create this kind of business, sometimes you go down one path, you think that's it. And it's like, oh no, that was just to lead you to this little corridor right there, you know? So, so I start this blog and it's like not a massive success to the point of, I wanna just get granular here. I would spend sometimes up to 10 hours working on one video because after we'd film it, I'd then we'd be doing all sorts of editing on it. So I'd put it out there. Sometimes I get like 30 likes. I said to myself, 30 likes, I could have forwarded some other garbage, whatever thing. I'm doing all this for that. So no, no, Hashem had other plans. It was because one day I said to myself, there are so many good veggie burgers beyond and all this. It's so delicious. And then there are so many ways to make veggies yummy, but I want a New York City deli sandwich with some rye bread and a sour pickle and a Dr. Brown's cream soda. And I want to have it even though I'm vegan. And so because I had that conviction and I was making this food blog, which required me to keep cooking up some new thing each week, I wound up making this amazing corned beef. Hmm. So. And was there a recipe for it or you just kind of came up with it like um, just based on different, was it sort of in inspired by other things you were coming across or was it like, let me try to find the taste or like, how, how did you go yeah. So I was trying to come up with novel things because it was this recipe blog and I wasn't trying to like shoot out other recipes that already existed. They were, I was trying to come up with new material. And so I did have some recipes for like, here's how to make vegan ribs or vegan other things. And so I knew a lot of the ingredients that made up the structure. And then I was able to go into like, the Jewish deli kind of kitchen online anyway, to figure out what kind of brines and spices are used. And then when I paired those together, it was pretty delicious from the beginning. It wasn't ready to like go mainstream at like a high production level. I had to tinker with all sorts of ingredients to be able to like bring it up in production. But yeah, so out the gate, it was really yummy. I still didn't think it was gonna be a business. I just thought I'd put it on my food blog. And then friends and family, especially like hater friends and family who thought I was like a crazy hippie for bringing my family vegan. They were like, this is so amazing. This is a food business and you need to do something with it. And I turned them down for months until one day I emailed some folks that I knew in like the vegan world in Los Angeles. They said, do you know anyone that has a food business? 
I met a great couple who had this kind of consulting type business and they had a little tiny commercial kitchen. They said, you can rent it for 25 bucks an hour. Wow. So that's how the business began. That's such an easy uh, entry point. I love it. So how long were you in business for before you went to Shark Tank? And yeah. was Shark Tank always a dream? Were you watching it with your family too? Like, when did you decide to do that? So I actually never watched Shark Tank really ever much before until I knew I was getting on the show and then I was like studying around the clock. But um, I knew it was a cool show. I just, I was busy learning Zohar. So who has time for Shark Tank? That's sort of how I felt about it. Um, but I, so I, it was like, it's so grassroots and so gorilla. That's why I love sharing the story with hopeful entrepreneurs because I rent this kitchen for 25 bucks an hour. After I dropped my two kids off at preschool, and by the way, I was pregnant at the time, I would then go to my local grocery store and pick up the ingredients. I'd then bring my Vitamix and all the ingredients out to this kitchen. I'd cook it all day and then I'd wash all the dishes and then I'd go pick my kids up from preschool. In the days I wasn't cooking it, I would drive around Los Angeles trying to like cold call and jump on into like a random deli and say, hey, so-and-so deli owner, will you taste my thing? And eight or nine times out of 10, they said, it's delicious. Wow. I mean, we're here in Los Angeles. And of course, people are more and more eating this way all the time. And the coolest thing to me is that like a deli, like typically hasn't taken on a new menu item in like a hundred years since like it started. <laughs> like what new ever comes to a deli, right? And so we knew that it might be easy because I'm a pretty girl to sell it the first time, but were there actually going to be reorders? And when I wasn't there, was it going to sell? And amazingly, yes, it did. So much so that we had articles written on us and there was like, people were very excited that this thing existed and that this girl did it out of her basically home kitchen or tiny commercial kitchen. And so after that, this is just going a handful of months, okay? And we're going back about two years now. And so for a handful of months, I start get bringing on five or six delis around LA and we're getting regular reorders. And then I had the gumption to reach out to our local Whole Foods. So I was literally 200 emails to our region here in Southern California. Finally, they said, we'd love to taste it. It's amazing. This and that, this is like a few months each time. Sorry for the buzzing guys. Um, so finally they said to me, they wanted to bring it on a pre-made sandwich. They knew that we didn't have like retail packaging or anything. And so they wound up saying like, we'll introduce you to our sandwich partners and then we'll get you on shelves. To me, that was such a dream come true. And let me tell you that that phone call when they actually said that to me happened a day after that third baby was born. And so Talmud says babies bring mazel, mamash zinachon. So anyway, uh, when that ends, so after we got the green light from Whole Foods, I then was like, I'm taking over the world now. So I'm reaching out to Shark Tank. So it was literally a 30 second web application to just get it in there. And then maybe three or four weeks later, I was driving home from a meeting at the Netflix studio offices because my husband was like, it'd be so cool if you could sit, we're in LA, so sell it to the stu movie studios. People, that'll be like great press, you know? So we did that. I was driving home from Netflix and I get a call and they were like, this is the casting director, this and that, you know, many very serious long uh, applications, handwritten, several 50 pagers. I just remember like for like days, it was like my business basically, just this, just applying for Shark Tank video applications and audio and anything you could imagine. And then finally I was on the show and it was far and away the most exhilarating experience of my life. Um, I like to say that, uh, 
you know, when you come at something with like the right headspace, you're doing the right work, your heart is in the right place. Sometimes like the heaviest doors with the biggest locks that seem impenetrable just come flying open for you. And that's kind of what happens. Nobody actually went out on us. Nobody actually said like, I'm going out. And Mark Cuban, who's by the way, Jewish, not everyone knows that. Uh, he also has a great grandparents from Romania that was also in the Jewish deli business. So oh, wow. I'll tell you, because this is a Jewish show, you know, I've read all these Hasidic stories about how like sometimes people, someone will owe someone a favor in one generation and then years later, then they have to come back and repay it in another body and another. So I thought to myself, wow, you know, maybe in Romania, they knew each other and someone had a loan that they had to repay. And then in New York, they were back. And now here he is investing in my business. And every now and then I'll share a little word of Torah or a lick of a Hag Sameach with Cuban. You know, he's he actually married a non-Jewish woman. It's not so much his thing, but he knows he's in business with Mrs. Goldfarb and this is just what happens. So, uh, I think that he actually likes, I think he likes going to business with the Jews. I mean, not, he doesn't always, but I've noticed that he it's, I mean, it's mishpacha. So I've seen that that seems to be a trend, but that's beautiful. It's really so touching. And I love, I love the idea of spreading Torah, just sort of having it so intertwined with your life and seeing mm -hmm. the everywhere. And I mean, what a way to elevate your life. Um, Okay, so um, so what? So then you got the deal at Shark Tank, okay. and then COVID hit, right? Like it was pretty because we were going to talk to you right afterwards and right. Um, and do this, and then suddenly like the world was ending. So um, how did you how, how did you pivot? We have to use the word pivot for COVID. Exactly, it was sure. So we got out of Shark Tank, like owning the world. Like this is oh my god, we've done it all, and then. We were getting very big into food service. Food service is a term that basically means restaurants or any place that you eat a meal outside your home is known as food service. And so we were selling all over the place like that because I hadn't yet worked out our little retail packaging that takes like labs and all sorts of crazy, you know, work to do that. So we were making it in big batches and packaging it in big batches and we were selling it to a lot of different big restaurants. And I had a big North American deal with Quiznos for 500 stores right on the table there at the end of January. And then by the time March, the, the by the way, the show aired, Shark Tank aired in November. So in January, we had all these big deals on the table. By March, all the deals were like gone. The restaurant partners were like barely staying afloat themselves. And my father, my beloved dad, who's an entrepreneur I mentioned, and also very much my sounding board. I was on with him right before I spoke with you here today. I talked to him every day. He came down with COVID so badly that it seemed like we were going to lose him. He was actually on a ventilator for like uh, 28 days, which is like, almost unheard of to come back from that. So yeah. at the, literally in the same week that like Quiznos fell through and I thought those were my biggest problems, my dad like could have left this world. So it's like, it really puts things into perspective. And certainly I told that to, you know, Mark and Cuban and who was very understanding. I said, pray for my dad, here's his name. And anyway, by a major miracle, my dad wound up getting a plasma donation at the last moment and came back to this world. And it's like, the biggest blessing ever. But as for the business, we realized that we needed to pivot into retail in order to meet the customers where they were in order to literally not die. And so that was our big pivot. And it was a huge pivot. It took, as you can imagine, many months in order to come up with our packaging. And here is our corned beef packaging. And here's our roasted turkey. And Anyway, people love the actual packs themselves, but the meat is the best part. And our third meat, Unreal Steak Slices, kind of like a really high-end roast beef is coming out in June. And so once we came out with these, Mark Cuban was like, you tell every grocery store you're ready now, even though we weren't going to be ready for like eight months or something. So I did that and I started getting the ball rolling. And at this point in time, we're now in about a thousand doors, which is like 
a lot of major grocery stores throughout the entire country, Wegmans, Fresh Time, Ralph's, which is just a total mainstream store. This is not like a froofy high end. This is like everywhere is now carrying stuff like this. Uh, giant food, very likely Publix this year, HEB, which is throughout the whole of Texas. And so uh, many more and more stores are coming on all the time. Now that food service is returning, it feels like there's new life to serve restaurants again. And so uh, it's very exciting, Allison. Amazing. How I mean, you're like I said, you sort of are a faith based and Torah talking woman wherever you go. How did your faith or Torah learning help you through, you know, when your father was very ill, when you had this loss with Quiznos? Did do you find that having something to fall back on? Um, right. Because the person that has no framework or, you know, believe in totally. anything. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that my my prayers had never been more potent and deep and soulful, you know, during that time. I mean, mostly about my dad. I wasn't really even like whatever. Because nothing matters, you know, when you have such a close family member that you, you may be losing. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of like heavy prayers and it was a very like, you know, just almost really traumatic time. But uh but at this point, with the kind of miracle that we saw, I mean, I've never felt you know, more love for my family, God, this world, getting to be in it with the people that I love. So I just feel so like even more reinvigorated than ever before. And, and even more, I'd say, like not sweating the small stuff. And I was just listening to a Torah lecture on, uh, on Sunday on Mother's Day, and it was saying uh, that like one of the things we have to work on is like being able to like see the good that's just around the corner. That like the fact that we all believe that Mashiach is coming means like the good is just around the corner. And so it's it's true on like a macro, you know, Mashiach level, but it's also true in like the most micro levels of like, oh, you didn't get this deal today, but the good is right around the corner. If you can be like, have your mind on that, then you can ride any wave, seems to me. I had a donor that I approached a little while back and it was pretty much like, uh, no thanks, I'm busy. And then like a year later, out of the blue, donor came back to me, said, I heard that you're, you know, great at doing this, love you to, you know, love to get involved with you now. And it was like, it's so easy, I think, to just sort of feel the um, the failure or, you know, see the closed door and think that that must be it. But we don't know what's what's around the corner, 100%. You totally. said that you're teaching a class sometime soon. You mentioned to me you have some upcoming I am, I am, but I, I do want to say just one more thing on that, which is, um, you know, there's, there's the good that's right around the corner. And there's also this aspect that like, um, you know, if you can, if you can sort of see it, like, um, like my father will oftentimes say to me that uh, he's like, you know, that like, that like, you know, you're that like, we're going to grow, it's going to be a big company. So if this one deal doesn't happen, it didn't have to be that deal that makes this whole thing go, you know, so, so to not be so tied up on like, oh, it had to be this means it's like, Hashem can deliver it any which way, any phone call could have at any moment, you know, I don't have to be, you don't want to work together, no problem, you know, that's all good. So anyway, yeah, what was your next question? Oh, yeah. So my next question was, you have an upcoming Torah class that you're giving. You told me you're teaching something soon, or you did just teach it. Yeah, on May 30th, and I'm happy to send the link for when this goes live, you'll have it as well. It's going to be a class on abundance. And I've, I've given a couple of Torah classes and certainly spoken to her at more than a few Shabbat meals. And so I'm hoping to do justice to this. But, uh, you know, basically this this balance in terms of like how to have your mindset in such a place that you're like magnetic and people want to work with you, you know, uh, my, uh, and, and how to be okay if not everybody wants to work with you. I have a girlfriend of mine who has a very inspiring podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Her name is Kathy Heller. And, uh, and she says, you can be the sweetest peach pie in the world, but someone comes along and they don't love peaches and like, that's okay. So 
to have to be able to just have this kind of mindset where you're like focused on the good, the good that's around the corner and the good that's here right now. And 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 especially with the balance of Shabbat, I find that that's an incredible way in order to to bring abundance is to be able to like take this kind of day off where it's not that you're walking away from the business. You're almost saying like, I've already done it. I already made my millions. It's already here. All the good is here right now. It's not like I'm, oh, I'm not near the business and the business needs me and it's not there yet. It's like, no, that's not the mindset. So uh, I'm hoping to convey this and, and much more on May 30th. So I will send you that link. Amazing. Yeah. And we have about like four more minutes to go. So I have okay. two final questions for you. So you did not grow up, you said, particularly observant. Did you have any like negative ideas about the Orthodox Jewish community before you knew them? And then how did that change once you met them? And then do you have any thoughts about sort of media depictions? Because I was raised with very negative thoughts about the Orthodox community. And over time, as I got to meet so many wonderful people, I realized that, you know, we don't get such a fair shake in terms of what gets shown, we really gets shown in the worst possible way. So curious about your opinion on that. I totally with you there, Allison. And I mean, I, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I went to public schools. And so I just wasn't like around it. I never like really saw like men with keypots or women with long skirts. It like never registered. Maybe I saw it and I just like didn't mean much. And so I didn't store it there. But um, but yeah, as I got older and started getting into Judaism, there was definitely still like a bridge where I was like, whoa, there's the folks of Meisharim or the folks of, you know, this, you know, Harnof, and that's way more not what I am. But of course, as I got into like, there would be a class in one of those places where I'd go to a Shabbos meal, like, and I'd be like, these people are beautiful. And okay, the men don't want to look at me. But it was funny, interesting, when I lived in Jerusalem, I remember one time thinking like, if I walked by a really Orthodox guy and he would like look down, I remember thinking like, what? You can't even look at me? Yet when a guy would actually look at me, I'd be like, what? You're looking at me? Like either way, they can't like totally win. So I was like, Jenny, you relax at the judgment. Let people look or not look, whatever they want to do, you know? So my preferred is be discreet about not looking. That's my right. That's exactly. my ideal, but I hear you. I hear you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but right. Yeah. So the media depiction um, is is not so it's not so fair. What people see on the outside is not what it actually is to experience it. I agree with that. Yeah. And so, um, I guess in our last uh, minute here, I guess words of inspiration for any of the future entrepreneurs or maybe um, people that would hope to be entrepreneurs. What you know? What advice do you have about? taking a dream, getting started. Um, sure. So my biggest advice is to like do the thing. It's not going to just like come to you. You have to like be like in it, doing it. Because I was in it working so hard on all this vegan food, then, oh, I made this one thing and it became a thing. But if had I just been like, I want to create a business, what's my calling? Vegan corned beef, that wasn't, that wasn't, that was not going to come to me. And so, uh, I don't know if you know this, I learned this recently and I just love it that the word mazal is actually an acrostic. So the mem is makom, which means place and the z is man, which is time. So most people say you're in the right place at the right time. And that's why that good thing happens. But there's a lamid and the lamid is for la'asot, which means to do. It's not just to be in the right place. Right? It's to be doing the thing at work, making it happen, chipping away at it every day, researching, learning, getting your hands dirty. That's my advice. That's amazing. You are such a Torah teacher. Oh my goodness. You, you built this whole business on Shark Tank, but like, wow, this is really like, this is the, the, the depth and the riches right here. This was such Thank a pleasure you. to get to, to meet you and, and hear your story and share this with our fans. It's really, you are such an inspiration. Um, we're going to do a giveaway with some of your corned beef yeah. be on our platforms right after this. Um, okay. And uh, we are going to give a, 
a Reuben recipe for Shavuos. If anybody wants to put a little Swiss cheese on that, I miss those from my non-kosher days. Really, thank you so, so much for your yeah, time. And also a discount for anyone who wants to get off our online store with the code Allison with two L's. Woo! Okay, yeah. and um, we we wish you, um, you know, Hatzlach Rabba on all of your endeavors and um, an upcoming Chag Sameach. Oh, Chag Sameach. That's right, Shavuot. Here we come. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.